Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Twenty-two. We're starting over. Wow! Yeah, I hope another so. new year. We hope you had a lovely holiday season. We certainly did. Right. The girls came home for Christmas and stayed through New Year's. I now understand that big deal that my parents made about us all coming oh, home for yeah. Christmas, and how stupid I was that I kind of didn't get it when I was younger. <laughs> but yeah, it was great to have them home. It was really lovely. Also, we have actually a big do 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 do. Life-changing event that we're going to tell you about after the story. It's a te- this is a teaser. This is a teaser. For it. But so, so don't quit partway through the story. Oh, you won't want to. Yes, because actually. I have a guest storyteller. His name is Sean Ewart. He's a great storyteller. He's also a teacher of storytelling, and he's been an actor and uh, a performer for years and years. As a matter of fact, he's from Chicago originally, and I can't believe our paths didn't cross. Yeah, it's funny that we didn't know him then. Maybe yeah. because he's a little younger than us. And- <laughs> that could be. <laughs> yeah. So here's my friend Sean Ewart telling a story about his dad. I used to steal money from my dad's wallet. A little bit of cash at first. He probably never noticed. Then I got bold. I took $100. I can still hear dad's Adidas Stan Smiths coming down the hallway with his Levi's belt buckle jangling from his jeans. Sean! Yes? Dad appears in the doorframe, feeling it. He silently holds his hand out and waits. Hand it over. I know you have it. My family has a complicated relationship with money. Ironically, it's my father who usually helps me out with cash when I ask, even though I was stealing it from him. My mother doesn't want me to have a cent. I think she feels that creating weird energy around money will be good for my character. It's not. Thirty years ago, behind my mother's back, my dad gives me some family savings when I moved to Colorado to finish my bachelor's. I finished that degree two years later, becoming the first person in my immediate family to get a four-year degree. A sound investment. Last year on my dad's porch, we're having a chat. I applied to grad school, I say, and I got in. Dad perks up. You did? I'm so proud of you. Where? CSUN, for a master's in humanities. I take a deep breath. At 51, I still feel like I'm 21. Would you be able to help me pay for the tuition? You don't even have to ask, he says. I'm in. I love CSUN. You made a great choice. And I'm beaming. Because of life changes, my birth, and other things, my father never finished his B.A. in the late 60s. I see in his eyes that he's living through this through me. It feels like we're building something together. What I don't tell him is how I feel when I send the digital acceptance letter back. I start thinking. This is what we do, right? Keep aiming for higher education. The more degrees, the better. Despite Susie Orman's sage advice, do not go to grad school if you're over 50 years old. You'll never get your investment back. I am determined to prove her wrong. Seriously, the humanities, how hard can it be? A love fest with a few term papers about how important it is to be human. The program is designed for mid-career professionals. It's online and on your own schedule. 
I'm a great student who always follows the rules. But there's one problem. I've never been to school online before, and I'm struggling already. There is a lot of reading, a lot of posting to community forums, a lot of alone time in my bedroom trying to figure everything out. But I'm determined. I keep thinking how that master's degree will look on my wall. It's the night of the first class, and I'm so excited. I'm going to meet my classmates, many of whom I've already connected with in our online forums. The professor breaks the class into Zoom rooms, and we start to do the icebreaker activity, and no one is talking. So I take the lead, and I start talking. One by one, each student offers up a little something. We move to another Zoom room, more of the same. It's painful to get the conversation going. One guy says to me after I decide to lead the conversation, Hey, um, are you a stand-up? And I'm totally caught off guard. Nervously, I reply, No, no, of course not. I'm a storyteller. Crickets. After class is over for the week, we're given our assignments, and I just dig in. I'm taking notes like crazy. I'm responding to my classmates' theories and forum posts. I'm increasingly lost. It seems that the humanities, they're not about big hugs and trips to the museum. There's a whole world of lingo, jargon, and theory that may as well be in actual Latin, the mother tongue of the humanities. All I can see in my mind is Susie Orman, with her short, blunt, blonde hairdo, big earrings, and million-watt smile yelling at me, I told you so! What the hell are you doing? On Labor Day, I do 12 hours of homework in my bedroom at my little folding desk. With every hour that passes, something is happening. That sinking feeling, like taking money from your father's wallet and getting caught. After reading the 20th article for class, my eyes start to well up and I'm full of anxiety. I come out of the bedroom and stand in front of my partner, John. You can't do this program, can you? says John. Ugh, I'm in the wrong program, I say. I'm a performer, not an academic. I'm miserable. The next morning, I have a Zoom conversation with the professor of my first class. She's an amazing and compassionate woman. I feel during our one-hour chat that I've received all I needed from the Humanities grad program. She says, Sean, this is one of the biggest turning points in your life. I admire how well you know yourself. I know you could get through this program, but I won't ask you to stay. We stare at each other for a moment through our laptops. I break the silence and say, Hey, I'm an artist, not an academic. I create things that people critique and discuss. I'm running from something by being in this program. I'm in the wrong place. I, uh, I made a mistake, and I need to leave. After beating myself up for leaving the program, I realize I need to tell my dad I left school. He was so excited. Ugh, I feel terrible. Hi, Dad. I need to tell you something, I say. He stands on his porch, leaning on his cane. I say, Dad, the program is miserable. I made a mistake, and I didn't investigate the curriculum enough. I left the cohort today. Dad's 83-year-old gray eyes that have seen so much, including watching me grow up, look me up and down. And I say, and I lost the tuition. I'll try to get it back. He says, oh, oh no. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay about the money. Hang on to it if you get it back. You'll find something that's better. And I believe in you. Okay, when I heard Sean tell that story at the Story Salon, do you remember I walked up to you and said, I want you to tell that story <laughs> on So Says Rick? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love dad stories. Mm -hmm. And there's something about your dad that reminds me a little bit of my dad, that subtle compassion that, that, you know, they don't say, this is the right way to do it. They just do it. And you go, wow, that was, that's the right way to do it. You know, my dad's been a, a very calm guiding hand through my life. There's been a lot of chaos and insecurity and confusion with my mother and my dad mm -hmm. is always the one who's, you know, standing there at the end of the day, you know, with the, with the wallet open or, you oh, know, really? something to help out. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, um, I am keeping an eye on you so you don't steal anything from the <laughs> studio. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I'm, I'm a reformed thief there. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> You're you're the kind of storyteller that is not afraid to show your vulnerabilities, and you're really honest. I've gotten to know Sean over the last two years doing the same thing. There's quite a community of storytellers out here in L.A., and we know each other, and we end up seeing each other at the same shows, and then sometimes we hear each other tell the same stories. <laughs> Ty Fance was telling a story the other night, and actually he told it here on the podcast, and he was going along, and I'm like, oh, he cut that part, and then he went back to it. He had missed it. <laughs> and uh, in, in a live show, he got it back. I'm like, good good work, man. He was, he was on his toes, man. There is a lot of that uh, sewing of stories back and forth. You know, I just did that 20-minute set at Story Salon um, right. a few weeks ago. And I had never done those two pieces together. So it was so fun to be in the moment knowing what to like cut and put together. And then I, in that satisfaction, when it lands right, you're like, oh, look what I just did. I made this great big story. I do a lot of time jumps that sometimes when I'm creating the story, I'm like, man, is this going to go okay? And then as long as you're with them, you've got, you've got their eyes in the front row and you make that jump, they're like, yeah, let's make that jump. You and I have talked about this before and doing storytelling on Zoom is a completely different game because you have to pretend or act like the audience is there and just assume they're with you with the story. And in a live show, you've got them reacting. So you're playing off of them. But you're really good at it. I've watched you uh, do storytelling. You look like a real person. <laughs> That's a compliment, by the way. Thank you. I love that. Um, I actually, you know, my first two um, Zoom shows, I'm thankful for those two shows because I really got the bugs out. I was like, I don't know. I felt very alien. But since then, I've just... I've kind of nailed the Zoom thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, you've, once you make love to that little dot on your laptop. Right, the, just, the, it, the, the uh, <laughs> camera. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in. You just got to fake yourself out that you're, you're, you're there. Yeah. You're looking at people and talking mm -hmm. to them. Now, you also teach uh, storytelling, right? I do, I do. I just taught my um, third class, I think, this year. Uh, it was online with uh, Tudor Theater in Chicago. Right. And it went really well. It went really well. In fact, I had some college teachers take my class. And they're like, Sean, you have so much compassion. He's like, I felt so much better coming out of the class than I did coming into it. Oh, yeah. He's like, I didn't feel so beat down, you know, afterwards. I watched a performance of some of your students, and I learned something from them about that strong opening line. You obviously work on that with your students, right? That is the most important thing yeah. I work on. And I try to shape their story, you know, to get the, the guideposts through it so they know where they're going. But we, we're searching for that first line the whole time. Right. Like in the story. It may not come out until later in the, in the class session, right? Right. I think it's a very Chicago thing. Yeah, maybe. That yeah. first line. I can't believe you and I didn't know each other in Chicago. How did that not happen? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> eh, well.
Now, you have something else you're working on, a new project, and your partner John here is in the studio. Should we bring him up to the We microphone? should. He's got a lot to say about it. John, <laughs> get, I'm going to pause things for a second. John, get over here. Okay, so we have done it. John is here at the microphone. John and I were both on the same storytelling show before uh, a couple weeks ago, and I had never heard John tell a story before. You're pretty good, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I said pretty good. You're very good. Well, thank you. Thank you. I do. I can tell a story, in other words, because you've been talking to me about it for a long time, and I finally got up, did it. Well, I know Sean has been pushing you. A little bit. A little bit. He was my student. Really? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I took his class. Yeah. Wow. He's a good teacher. Okay. So, new project. Let me know what it is. I really don't want... I'm not, like, setting up the audience. I don't know what it is. So, tell me. (laughs) So, uh, I've been acting for many years. We've lived here for over four years. I hadn't done anything creative. And I said, you know what? I love to cook. I want to do film work. So, why not do a YouTube cooking show? Hop on the YouTube bandwagon. So I looked at Sean. I said, I need an angle. What can I do? And I looked at him and I said, well, you don't know how to cook. I said, let me teach you how to cook and I'll teach people at home how to cook. Oh, so, that's good. Thank you. It's called Sean Can't Cook, but John Can. <laughs> so we did our 28th episode. We've got to start working on 2022s now. Wait a minute. 28 episodes, and yeah. I'm just now figuring <laughs> yeah, this out? Yeah, So those, all those shots of you uh, with making cookies and stuff, that's for the show. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What I'm, did you think we were doing? I don't know. I'm an idiot. I'm, we're going to change the show to Rick's an idiot. So. Well, that's great. And what a great format. There's one dummy, Sean, who doesn't know how to cook, and John does. Yes. I'm yes. a stooge. He calls himself the stooge, yes. Yeah. And he proves it every week. Yeah. <laughs> So where can folks find, what, what, tell me the name of it again. Sean Can't Cook, But John Can. Where can we find it? YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Find us, like us, follow us. That would be wonderful. Great. But, yeah. Great. Well, cool. It's been great to have you tell a story, Sean. Thank and you. John, hear about the show that I should have known about <laughs> before I had you come into the studio. <laughs> well, now you have something to watch. You can binge 28 episodes. That's right. What is your favorite thing you've taught people how to cook or bake? Oh, boy. I know that's putting you on the What spot. about Sean? Do you have a favorite thing that you've learned? I would say it's the orange cookies. Oh, great grandma's orange cookies, yes. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, I am glad to have you here so you could point out what a doofus I am that I don't even know what my friends are <laughs> That was doing. not my intention. That no, was not no, my no. intention. <laughs> well, it's so easy to do. Thanks for being here, you guys, and I look forward to doing more storytelling shows with both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I know why you love this story so much. Why is that? It's it's a good dad story. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I love a good dad story because as a dad myself, I realize we're all just figuring it out as we go along and we make mistakes, but we're just flying by the seat of our pants. I thought my dad knew everything and he was just figuring it out too. Well, but moms do know everything. Oh, do they? Yes, exactly. Wow. We've got it all figured out. That's good to know. So I'm a little embarrassed to announce that I have finally watched some episodes (laughs) of Sean Can't Cook, But John Can, and it's really fun. It is. And what I like about it is it's so laid back. It's like when family is in the kitchen cooking together. You know, they're laughing. Matter of fact, on one episode, 
they get so tickled about something, they can't stop laughing. <laughs> and they didn't edit that out because it's so much fun. And that's the way cooking should be. It should be a lot of fun. And, you know, I've learned a lot from watching it, too. And I consider myself a pretty good cook. Yeah, you're a pretty good cook. I'm kidding. <laughs> She's a very good cook. I was a joke. <laughs> but the, um, like the mashed potatoes episode. Oh, the mashed potatoes. Right. Where I started out like, yeah, I know how to do this. And then there was a twist at the end. <laughs> right. And Laura actually went, oh, like she's watching some, some drama. On TV. Oh. <laughs> and we found out who the murderer was. Right. And we're not going to tell you what the, what the little, what uh, the twist is. You'll have to watch is. the episode. And in another episode, Sean talks about cookies that he actually lets age before they eat them. Wow. I know. That's another teaser for them. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see an episode where Sean actually does a cooking because he holds a camera a lot and -hmm. let him do the cooking and watch him screw it up. That'd be good. There you you go. (laughs) And have John have to fix it. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I do have to say, although we didn't do any research before this show, (laughs) they could have done some research or, you know, put a little effort and brought some of great grandma's orange cookies. There you go. You know, that would have been the decent thing for them to do. Boy, Laura, you hit the nail on the head. Wow, it sounds like we're doing a lot of teasers for Sean Can't Cook, but John can, which we are, I guess. We are. Hey, speaking of teasers, that's my transition. Nice segue. Thank you. Laura, what is our big announcement? So our big announcement is that we're moving back to the Midwest in the spring. (laughs) We've had 30 great years out here in Los Angeles. But the thought of being closer to our family. And, That's the primary. Yeah. The primary reason. Yeah. But there's also a lot of work back there. We used to work a lot in Chicago. Yeah, I think we'll work again. There's improv, theater, music. They're shooting a lot of television there now. Right, right. So with, this is not retiring. Yeah, somebody this said to me. This is a third act. Somebody said to me, oh, boy, Chicago is a great place to retire. I'm like, no, we're not retiring. <laughs> and we've always said that if we've got good Wi-Fi and uh, airport, nearby we can keep working we can teach and do all the stuff we do and so much more stuff is done remotely now right yeah and if we've got the studio we can do this you can do the audiobooks right right but the most important thing is we'll be back with family again although i do have to say today it was 71 degrees here in la and it was 11 in chicago which did make me have a few second thoughts. I know, I know. <laughs> so that's why we're waiting till the spring to move there. Because right, no right. one in their right mind would move there in January. Right. And with that thought in mind, we may go offline. So says Rick may go offline for an episode or two. Because right. we're going to have a lot on our plate. <laughs> well, also, we have to disassemble the studio here and reassemble it there. You know what we could do? Maybe we'll do a travel log. Oh, that would be fun while we drive across the country. Right, right. Either driving a U-Haul or just driving across the country. That'd be fun. Let's do that. Yeah, that's a good idea. So it is exciting. It's also bittersweet. You know, this is the home we've been in for over 20 years. We raised both of our kids here. Yesterday, I went into the house and Laura was (laughs) packing up the Christmas ornaments and just sitting on the floor crying, which... I think we're going to be doing some of that, too. Yeah, yeah. It's bittersweet. We've got a lot of friends here in our church here that we're going to miss quite a bit. Yep. We've had a good run. But as my cousin in Chicago said, L.A.'s had you for 30 years. It's time for you to come back. Well, there you go. So we're excited about heading back to the Midwest, and we'll make a bunch of new memories there. Yeah. And we hope you have a great new year ahead. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye.